was a child, my friends and I used to very often fantasize about what we wanted to be when we grow up, or we even took on the persona of people who we admired in TV shows, movies, politics, other areas, and pretended to be those in our little games. But with the onset of maturity, uh, education, and life experience, uh, engaging in those sort of escapist fair uh, games faded away and reality set in. But apparently we have people here in New York uh, and elsewhere that think, uh, I guess either they're still children or that these things are not games or they have an exceptionally inflated opinion of themselves. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dury and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe, and you can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store and simply search out The Jamie Dury Show, or you can download the free Podbean app in either of those two locations, search out The Jamie Dury Show in the Podbean app itself, and then click subscribe. Whichever way you choose to subscribe, you will be informed whenever new episodes are uploaded and you will be able to leave comments and leave reviews. And we desperately need both of a positive nature. Listen to the show, give us a five-star review, refer us to your friends, let them know we're out here. And the faster we do that, the faster the show will grow and the more offerings we'll be able to give you, such as a call-in line and even perhaps an occasional live podcast. So who are these people with the delusions of grandeur of whom I speak? Probably two of the biggest failures that we have in New York politics today that now think they should be given a second chance to screw up. Now, one of them admittedly is new to the political scene in terms of being in elected office, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, but we'll come back to him in a moment. The first one last week who announced that he was considering uh, running for Congress, having failed to uh, run for president successfully, was former New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. And supposedly the impetus for his wanting to run is that people are hurting out there. They're hurting and they're desperate for help. I'm going to help them. Well, you're going to help them into the poorhouse because you did a piss poor job when you were mayor of the city of New York. You brought crime back. You brought anarchy back. There are bums all over the streets. Your wife stole a billion dollars that nobody seems to know where it went and nobody seems to care. And you're responsible for most of the ills. You've destroyed the New York City Police Department. And now you who caused the problem are going to attempt to extricate the people from it. You crippled and bankrupted New York businesses with your draconian lockdowns and your uh, continued suppressive behavior, refusing to allow indoor dining, uh, making shanty towns out of our streets with these mock-up outside uh, enclosures. And make no mistake about it, they were enclosures. They had many of them more than three sides. They had three sides and then a curtain coming down. So basically it was okay to eat inside, outside, but you couldn't eat inside, inside. It was no logic to it uh, in any way, shape, or form. And the rat population thrived. The rat population, which had, and nobody even talks about this, but the rat population had suffered tremendous mortality during the early days of COVID when no businesses were open and there was no food being consumed, so to speak, in terms of restaurants and takeout and things like that. And so many of the rats were starving and they began cannibalism and the more dominant aggressive rats began killing off the others. 
and the population shrunk for a period of time. And then when the restaurants opened again, now there was food aplenty, especially with these sidewalk dining areas, people dropping French fries and bread and what have you. And these rats now began to eat this stuff and grow the population once again. Unfortunately, the gene pool that was left were of comprised of all these dominant, aggressive sort of super rats. So now we have a tremendous rodent problem, unlike that which we've ever had in the city of New York before. To say nothing, we have a real human rodent problem. The, the filth of society, the criminals, the mentally deranged, the insane, the criminally insane. And we saw evidence of that. And now this fool has the audacity to think that he is the voice of reason. He is the one who's going to rescue the people from this plight that he helped create. I think not. But not to be outdone, Eric Adams jumps into the fray. But he's not just looking at Congress. Eric Adams is actually eyeing up a presidential run in 2024. He must have an extremely high opinion of himself or an extremely low opinion of Joe Biden. But that wouldn't surprise me because I think most people with a brain in their head have a pretty low opinion of Joe Biden. He is a corrupt man. He is a thief. His son is a, is a, uh, a scoundrel. Uh, and there's no reason to suspect that he's going to last. Uh, Joe Biden, I mean, the son is just, uh, forget about it, not even worthy of comment. But Eric Adams, what has he done? What experiences he had? Uh, he was a captain in the New York City Police Department. Big deal. The Transit Police Department, I believe. He failed to distinguish himself there. He's been the mayor of New York for six months. He's failed to distinguish himself here other than by his manifest incompetence. Despite his purported experience in law enforcement, nothing has been done to drop uh, to lower crime. The subways are out of control. I now see a subway presence of uh, police even greater than I saw before. It doesn't seem to dissuade anyone because they have no support from the district attorney's offices. These rogue DAs funded by George Soros have decided, as I've mentioned in previous shows, that they're simply just not going to enforce entire areas of law. This is not prosecutorial discretion. These are people who are subverting the will of the people by disregarding laws that were legally and lawfully passed by the state legislature, the representative, the elected representatives of the people. So the will of the people is being usurped by these little um, fiefdoms, these little uh, vassals that have these little fiefdoms, they think as if this is a feudal system. No, it's not. Prosecutorial discretion gives elected prosecutors the authority and the discretion to not prosecute a particular case, not to wholesale decide we're not going to prosecute petty crimes, we're not going to prosecute your public urination, we're not going to prosecute um, resisting arrest. How are the police officers supposed to arrest people who don't want to be arrested if there's no longer a legitimate charge for resisting arrest? That's an interesting one. Contemplate that for a while. That's like trying to debate what the sound of one hand clapping is. We know what the sound of two hand clapping is. What is the sound of one hand clapping? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's insane. What has Adams done? Now, people say to me, well, it's not Adams' fault. He went to Albany and he asked the governor and the legislature to change this bail reform and many of the policies that are emanating from Albany so that he can bring normalcy and order back to the city of New York. Now, he did do that. And he was promptly rebuffed and told to go to hell. But does that mean that that's the end of it? 
Did you just walk back or crawl back to New York City with your tail between your proverbial legs and do nothing? No, it doesn't. It means you take your case to the people, the people who elected you. Now, if it were me, I would have got back to the city of New York and I would have held a press conference and I would have explained to the people in New York City and without exactly what transpired up in Albany between the legislatures and myself and the governor and myself. And then I would change my press conference audience from speaking to the people to speaking to them, saying, I want you, Governor Hochul, and you, the State Assembly and the State Senate, to know that I've now put you on notice. I came to you in an effort to get you to rescind these ridiculous, demonstrably failed policies that have brought crime back at an alarming rate to the city of New York, and you refuse to do so. I'm going to do everything I can within my power to eradicate it and suppress it. But from this point forward, every murder, the blood of every murdered person, every woman, every child, every man, every sexual assault, every armed robbery, every single bit of violent crime, the blood and the responsibility is on your hands, not mine. Put them on Front Street, see how fast they change. And every time a tragedy strikes that is so barbaric that it shocks people to their core, occurs. I would get on my soapbox again and call another press conference and personally blame the governor and the legislature for their inaction. And yet another dead New Yorker, blood is on your hands, Governor Hochul, and you, President of the Senate, and you, President of the Assembly. Take the case in point. It could have been me or my son. This past Sunday, we took the subway uh, because we were going up to have lunch at Trump Tower. We were meeting some friends in, and we thought it would be a good tourist place to take them. And we were surprised by the number of uh, police that were on the train, but that was in Manhattan. And then we realized why, once we got there, we had completely forgotten that this Sunday was the Israeli Day Parade. So naturally, there was a lot of security, a lot of tourists in town. But at the same time that my son and I were on the six train going uptown, a poor 48-year-old man who worked for Goldman Sachs, apparently a very good man, a very good family man, a very nice man, never bothered anyone, was traveling in from Brooklyn on the Q train when a depraved lunatic decided to produce a gun and for reasons known only to him, shot this man point blank, and he was pronounced dead en route to Bellevue. 48 years old, wiped out for no reason whatsoever. Thanks to the good work of the men and women of the New York City Police Department, the suspect has been identified, despite the fact that he was masked. Because now this is a great thing with these COVID masks. A man carries a gun, puts on a hoodie, and puts on a mask, and now nobody knows who he is. But they managed to identify him anyway. He's been identified as 25-year-old Andrew Abdullah. Now, he had demanded that he be allowed to surrender to Mayor Eric Adams. But in the end, he surrendered at the 5th Precinct with a lawyer and a Brooklyn minister. And he must view himself as some sort of folk hero, uh, carrying out some campaign of social justice. He shows up, there's a photo of it here, in 
the New York Post. He showed up at the 5th Precinct to surrender in a Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce! This after he demanded to turn himself into Eric Adams. I guess to his credit, Eric Adams decided that's not going to fly. You're not going to surrender yourself to me. I'm not going to dignify you by allowing you to surrender to me. But he was negotiating his surrender. He looks like a real thug, by the way. Something that the world could probably do well without. I would love to see what he has to say when the detectives actually speak to him, if they're allowed to speak to him. What reason he has. Now, the reward for information leading to his capture was only 3500 I would have upped it up a little bit. But I'll be damned if I would let him negotiate. I'll negotiate with you. Here's my negotiation. Surrender. Or if we catch you and you make any sort of furtive movement whatsoever to indicate that you have any evil intent against those who wish to arrest you, given your demonstrated capability for total callous violence, we will light you up. There's your negotiation. You can die with a gun in your hand or you can surrender. There is no negotiation beyond this point. And that's the problem. We're trying to justify these depraved acts of murder and sexual assault, things that have no basis in facts, this, this sort of, well, we, we're going to just have a race war. We're going to commit violence against people of certain races or certain ethnicities because it's, it's retribution and restitution for all things that were done in the past. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're going to come after me or my, my little son and say that it's in payment for the atrocities committed by white slave owners 200 years ago or 150, 70 years ago. I got news for you. My family, my ancestors, we weren't in the United States back when slavery was allowed. My ancestors were still in Europe. They hadn't come here. So I have no responsibility in what happened during the days of slavery. But that's the sort of tortured logic that these people are using. And they're being encouraged in that logic by people in the Democratic Party. And it just isn't, isn't true. It isn't true for a host of reasons, not the least of which are the ones I just mentioned. But let's look further. Instead of getting into that bigger picture, let's look at these individual thugs like this Andrew Abdullah who murdered uh, Enrique Hernandez over the weekend. We're going to be told that he was a troubled youth, uh, that he was angry at the way society has treated him and other black men or people of color. He's going to find that he has some axe to grind and it's going to be all our fault and none of his fault. Or he was abused and it really wasn't his fault. Well, I got news for you. I've told this story before. I'm going to say it again. Sometimes life isn't fair. You walk across the street, you get hit by a car, and you get busted up. It's not your fault. It's the fault of the driver. The driver that hit you. And that driver is, is responsible for you. And he will be, either out of his own pocket, if he's compelled to, or his insurance company will pay to the limits of the policy whatever financial uh, restitution they have to make to pay for your physical therapy and make you whole. But despite the fact that they take responsibility and he takes responsibility and they're paying, they can't do the rehab. You still have to do it yourself. 
It may not be fair. Maybe you'd like to be able to say, well, they have to do it. I shouldn't have to do anything. But unfortunately, you do. It's still your responsibility to clean yourself up. Now, it may not be Mr. Abdullah's fault that he's a nut job, but a nut job is what he is. It's certainly not the dead man's fault. It's certainly not my fault. It's certainly not your fault. So I go back to that old Disney movie, the example I give. And it's a good movie to see from a clean entertainment point, uh, standpoint. It was back in the days when Disney was still making good movies, not trying to uh, foist sex education on kindergartners before they got slapped down by the governor of Florida and got their head handed to them. It's a movie called Old Yeller. It was set in the Civil War, and the father was in the South, and he'd gone off to fight the war. And so the, the oldest son, who was just a teenager, had to become the man of the house, help his mother and his little brother, sister, and so forth. And they had a dog, and they named this dog Old Yeller. He was a good dog. And then one day, late in the movie, they were at a campfire or something, and, and a wolf comes in and tries to attack the family. And Old Yeller defends the family against the wolf and kills it. And the mother points out that something is amiss. The boy doesn't understand. She says, yeah, it was good. He said, it was good that Old Yeller was here and saved us. She goes, yeah, it was good for us, Jimmy, but it wasn't good for Old Yeller. Said, what do you mean? Because the mother knew there was no way that wolf would have come into the camp like that and attacked with the fire and all that. If there wasn't something wrong with him, she knew that the wolf was rabid. So she said, we may have to get rid of Old Yeller. He says, Old Yeller just saved your life. You going to get rid of him? So she convinced him that it was in their best interest to lock Old Yeller away and watch him. And sure enough, Old Yeller started to change. And he became rabid. There was nothing they could do to help Old Yeller. Even in this day and age, in case you don't know it, if you contract rabies and you're not given treatment before symptoms begin to occur, your chances of survival are minimum. Once symptoms actually occur and manifest themselves, even with modern medicine, you will die a very horrible death unless they put you in a medically induced coma to reduce your pain till you just slip away. So Old Yellow was rabid, and the boy, heartbroken, was convinced by his mother that he was suffering, and he shot him. Now, it wasn't Old Yellow's fault that he became rabid. It wasn't Old Yellow's fault in any way, shape, or form that he became a monster. But once he became a monster, he had to go. This Andrew Abdullah is a monster. I don't care whose fault it was. He's a monster. He's something that society can do without. He needs to be expunged. And if we had a society that worked correctly, as long as we've identified him as being the one that did this, and there's no ambiguity about that, because these are things that have to be taken into consideration when you're having a trial for a capital crime, there's no reason to maintain this person's existence. Society's already suffered a terrible blow by having one of our finer citizens ripped from us while he was just trying to live his life, go in, shoot pool as he did regularly on Sunday in Manhattan, and then meet a friend for brunch. He didn't bother anyone. He wasn't bothering anyone. 
now he's, he's gone. Society's already suffered that indignity. Why should society and the rest of the taxpaying public have to suffer the further indignity of keeping this completely unrehabilitatable person alive for the duration of his existence at the cost of an excess of $100,000 a year? I don't see it. But New York is slipping into an abyss. Now, crime is still not existing at the rate that it existed back in the 80s, in the 90s, when the crack wars were raging, when we had 96 homicides. But these were crimes, although savage, were a little bit more understandable. They took place among the drug dealers themselves. Of course, there were some innocent bystanders in drive-by shootings. But these random acts of violence, these people that just decided to walk up and attack police officers with hatchets and think they have a right to do so, jumping on radio cars and burning, which never occurred before, except when we had the riots under Dinkins and he ordered Chief Gallagher not to do anything. And Chief Gallagher took the blame for that, even though Dinkins said, let the people get their frustrations out. They burned radio cars and they did nothing. We haven't seen depravity on this order before, where there's a whole new level of morality or immorality that's emerging. And if we don't get a return to normalcy, this new immorality is going to consume and destroy all of us. So I'm telling you now, there's only one way to do this. I understand there may be the occasional Democrat that might be the better choice than the Republican in a particular race, but those situations are going to be few and far between. The greater good will be achieved by voting for no Democrat, because even if it's a good Democrat, any additional Democrat that gets into office either at the state, local, or federal level is just one more Democrat that's going to bring them closer to a majority in whatever relevant legislative bodies they're a member of. And when they control things, they destroy things. Now, for their part, the Republicans, when they control things, they don't know how to be in control. They're a bunch of spaghetti-spined idiots. And they're going to have to get some backbone. So, an extension of the same logic. When you're faced with elections coming up, these primaries at a beginning, if there is a Trump-endorsed candidate, that's who you vote for. Because those are the candidates that have probably had long conversations with Donald Trump and have agreed to abide by his vision, which includes, among many things in the platform, not only energy independence, because we're all suffering now, with close to $5 a gallon gas, it's going to be 6 by the summer, but also probably is in favor of term limits, which we desperately need. Because we can no longer endure. We have this idiot. We can't endure this immorality, and we can't endure the impracticality and the stupidity that we're getting from our leaders. Joe Biden calls this incredible, uh, the, the, the rising gas prices, an incredible transition. What's so incredible about it? You cut off all domestic oil production. You shut down the Keystone Pipeline. And now you're going hat in hand, begging Russia for more gas, the people you're trying to economically sanction because of what they did in Ukraine. And you're shocked that the national average cost of gasoline as of this past Saturday is now at a record high, $4.59.6. And some states like California are paying more than 6 And by the time we get to the summer, we're all going to be paying more than 6 So what does this idiot say? When it comes to gas prices, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place. God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger. And the world will be stronger unless reliant 
on fossil fuels when this is over. Schmuck, what the hell are we going to rely on? There is nothing else. This green energy is a pipe dream. I did a show last week explaining how it's a pipe dream. They talk about the cheaper prices of green energy. It is not cheaper. It is 10 times. Subsidies for green energy is 10 times what we give the energy companies for oil and gas exploration. The initial investment in the component parts is much higher than the initial investment in fossil fuel production. The service life of these entities is much lower. The the windmills have to be replaced. Their component parts have to be replaced. Batteries wear out. You have to have a way of storing the energy. That's polluting. The The disposal cost and the disposal impact on the environment of disposing of the batteries because the sun doesn't shine at night. Solar fuel won't, solar energy won't get you any energy at night. And even when it does, doesn't give you much energy. See, the problem with these fossil fuels, I'm sorry, with these non-fossil fuel alternatives uh, is that um, you can't ramp up supply. The sun can't shine any brighter. The wind can't blow any harder. It does what it can do. If you need to ramp up production, you can always bring more output out of your nuclear or coal or gas-fired plants. Can't do that with these green energy alternatives. California tried it. They got all kinds of brownouts. So we're in deep doo-doo, and there's only one way out of it. These issues become very complicated, and I said this years ago, the more complicated and involved issues become, the more people tend to shut down and just looking for an answer. They're looking for an escape. Well, you can get that escape. You can get that answer, but you can't overanalyze it. You can't be intimidated by people. You can't wring your hands over it. You have to have trust in the person you vote for. You have to trust your gut. When Donald Trump first ran for president, I thought it was going to be a sideshow. Now, my wife is a big fan, or was a big fan, of The Apprentice when it was on TV. I never much cared for those type of shows, so I didn't have any great feeling about it one way or the other. But I thought, when he first ran, like a lot of people did, that he was just doing it for publicity and not much else. And I thought, well, he'll fade. And then the debates came, and he didn't fade. Primaries came, and he won every demographic group in the New Hampshire primary, which was a bellwether. And then I saw saw that his performances in debates were improving. And every time they predicted he was finished, he climbed in the polls. And the more they predicted he was finished, the more he climbed in the polls. And it wasn't long before I became a believer and realized Donald Trump is for real. And he really is doing this out of a sense of love of country. He's already a multi-billionaire. He certainly doesn't need the money. He has more money than he can ever spend. But he loves the country that made him his fortune and he wanted to see it restored to its dignity and proper place in the world and prevent it from being pillaged and plundered by foreign powers and our own self-seeking, adventurous politicians. So when I tell you you have to pick a side, you have to look at the bigger picture. You can't break it down to individual races. You must do everything in your power to ensure that the Democratic Party holds no majority anywhere in any state legislature 
in any city council, in the U.S. Congress, in the White House, in the governor's mansions, everywhere. The Democratic Party is not the Democratic Party that you remember from even 20 years ago. It's not the Democratic Party, certainly, that I remember when I grew up as a young lad thinking that the Democratic Party was the way to go. JFK was the president uh, when I was a little boy. I was born uh, when Eisenhower was president, but I still remember one of my first memories being thrown a campaign button, walking outside the school that I was going to attend very shortly with a Kennedy name on the button. It was people that were driving around in the car. So I always thought I had an affinity for the Democratic Party. I didn't know much about the Republican Party. But the more I became familiar with the Democrats and the Republicans, the more I began to gravitate away from the Democrats and toward the Republicans. And that was complete when I voted for Ronald Reagan. I've never voted for a Democrat since. So if you want to have any hope of saving the country, you'll vote for any candidate that Donald Trump endorses. Because not only will it ensure that there will be no Democrat majority if they win, because he's not endorsing any Democrats, but will also ensure that the right Republicans are elected, ones who will know how to govern when they're in the majority and not simply roll over for the Democratic minority. Now, before we sign off today, I have a sad duty to perform. While I was doing the show, my phone was going off with news flashes. Apparently, there was a shooter loose in a Texas elementary school. Well, he's dead now. It's currently believed that he was killed by responding officers. But before they got there and before they managed to silence him forever, this animal managed to kill 14 students and one teacher. This is a school attended by second, third, and fourth graders. And my heart goes out to the parents of those children who lost their loved ones. I always had a soft spot in my heart for children. But I don't think you can really ever empathize. You can sympathize, but you really can't empathize with what a parent goes through until you've become a parent yourself. Well, I am. And I can. Because I know what I would feel like if I lost my little boy. But even in the depth of this sorrow, I point out that the problem is people. Yes, everybody says guns are the problem. Earlier in the show, I spoke about this animal that killed um, Enrique Hernandez on the Q train this past Sunday in New York City. Now, it's true we had a gun. He had an illegal gun. And he had a history of violence. Eight prior arrests, including two assaults, gun possession, attempted murder, contempt, grand theft auto, you name it. But he got that gun illegally. So no new law 
was going to make a difference. Laws, as I've said before, have two functions. They lay the ground rules. They set out what is permissible conduct and what is not. And they serve to deter people who will be deterred from committing crimes. And those are basically honest people. In that way, they're not too unlike locks. The old saying goes that locks were made for honest people. It keeps honest people honest. But those who choose to violate laws are going to violate them, regardless of whether they exist or not. So for those people, the law does not provide any preventive effect. It only provides sanctions after the fact. It serves as a guide as to what we do with these people after they've already violated the law and committed it. So passing more laws as a means of preventing gun violence is not going to work. What's going to work is letting people know, setting examples of people that have committed prior violence, let them know what they're going to face. That might discourage people, the actual implementation of severe sentencing, the death penalty in states where we have it, where there's murder, and making sure that our system is not a revolving door like we have with these rogue DAs that George Soros is funding. Making sure that when people get sentenced to jail, they spend a considerable amount of time there if it's justified by their actions so they don't go back out and do it again. Because as long as they're in prison, they're not going out and committing crimes again. That is paramount. The second thing is to come to the final conclusion that guns really aren't the problem. People often look, well, if he didn't have a gun, he wouldn't have been able to kill those, that man in the subway. If this man didn't have a gun, he wouldn't have killed 14 children and a teacher. That's true. But what's also true is if a good guy or a good gal on that subway train also had a gun, maybe they could have stopped him. Perhaps not. He only fired one shot. But he wouldn't have been able to get away. He might have thought twice about doing it if he knew that he wasn't in New York City, but he was in a place like Arizona where people do carry guns. And in the case of this horrific tragedy in Texas, you don't kill 14 people and one teacher, 14 children, one teacher in 10 seconds. He walked around, I'm sure. If someone there had a gun, they could have stopped it. Stopped the hemorrhaging. Maybe they wouldn't have been able to prevent it completely, but perhaps the numbers wouldn't have gone to 14. We need to reorient our focus on the actions of people, not on inanimate objects. Because if we start walking down that road, we might as well get rid of everything. People who drive cars drunk, let's get rid of the cars. If there are no cars out there, you can't drive them drunk, can you? Nobody goes for that. It's people. People need to be held accountable. And I have every confidence that in the good state of Texas, where they believe in the death penalty, that this son of a bitch who murdered those 14 innocent children and that teacher is going to get exactly what's coming to him. For The Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury. <laughs>